0: have you seen that book I was reading earlier?
1: Alarm clock, movie camera, laughing with tears, cat face.
0: I don't understand.
1: Angry purple face with horns. People bowing deeply with medium light skin tone.
0: Are you speaking only in emojis?
1: Dog, pig nose, a monkey that can speak no evil, face with cold sweat.
0: How long is this going to go on?
1: (laughs) Frog, screaming in fear cat face. Footprints, smiling pile of poo.
0: This really is devolution. We've evolved sophisticated language systems, and what are we replacing them with? Idiotic pictographs. You should be embarrassed to be part of this.
1: Flushed face. Unhappy sideways cat face. Face of chicken who cannot find the correct emoji.
0: Oh, Just introduce the show.
1: Nose with medium light skin tone. Smiling pile of poo. And now police chasing wild boar with medical mask.
2: That's me, I guess. That's how you say Colin McEnroe, an emoji. Uh, not really exactly, but uh, we will be talking about – in fact, like we almost can't wait to get to it because judging for the pre-show conversation, that's like what everybody seemed to want to talk about. Uh, but we have many other things to talk about before we get to emojis. As you may or may not know, Oxford dictionaries uh, have named uh, um, an emoji. Uh, the word of the year, a specific emoji. Um, But it's sort of, I think, a placeholder for all emojis. Uh, Anyway, we'll come to that. That's not where we're going to begin today. We're going to begin today, first of all, by telling you who's here. Uh, Writer uh, Gourmand and many other things, Rand Richards Cooper, is here. uh, From Trinity College, uh, Irene Papoulos, a professor of many things, is here. And then uh, truly a person of many aspects, uh, even just in this week alone. Uh, (laughs) Let's just say that when they finally do build that celebrity only air terminal at Los Angeles. I think she'll be one of the first people to use it. Uh, comedian, dancer, choreographer, writer, actor, Person who's in commercials, Carolyn Payne, and I'm sure I'm leaving some things out too, uh, is with us. So um, that's who's with us. We're going to begin by talking about the announcement of Charlie Sheen earlier this week on the Today Show that he's uh, HIV positive. I mean, there's some ways in which we'd like to kind of uh, pull that one apart a little bit uh, um, just and then go from there. Uh, to well will Rand liked the way that Charlie Sheen or somebody writing for Charlie Sheen used words and i 'd been thinking a lot lately that this is one of the last defensible prejudices, you know, that we really do like the way people speak if they speak the way that we like to speak, and we don't like people who don't use words the way that we do. Um, And uh, so anyway, we're going to talk about that and also about the kind of the the deformalization, the informalization of formally formal speech. Uh, It's kind of called NPR speak. Everybody kind of talks like Ira Glass now. Uh, Anyway, we'll explain more to you about that. So we've got a pretty full plate, as you can tell. We've got to dive right in. So the announcement came uh, this week on the Today Show, where all important things are announced. Uh, Charlie Sheen said that he had had uh, his HIV positive for a number of years now, that he's um, paid upward of $10 million to keep quiet, uh, 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 to keep other people quiet, we should say, about his condition, uh, and that he wanted to... Well he's basically was saying he's been he's been extorted by people he knows and he's tired of that and the way to make that stop uh is to come clean as it were. So uh that's what he did. And so um Irene, I know you watched the uh clip of him talking uh to Matt Lauer in all of its fullness. Did you see things there that were intriguing to you specifically intriguing to you? Um yeah, I did, but probably
3: uh, a lot of people will disagree. Might disagree with me, but oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I just see the shame pouring out of him when, he, when he was talking. I, I felt like, you know, it made me think about his life as the son of Martin Sheen, and you know, the privilege, incredible privilege that he was born into, and then he kind of just, you know, the way he, the, the person that he turned out to be was, I'm sure, very, you know problematic to his family for many reasons and everything. And so he got this diagnosis and I was thinking, wow, he's, why did he spend all that money, millions of dollars to, 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 you know, because he was ashamed, you know. I mean, my friend then said to me, no, he just didn't want anyone to know so that he could keep having sex, you know. But, um, but for me, the, just the mannerisms, you know, so that, that's where I start. And also just there's something that seems real to me about the way he is, uh, even if people might disagree with me.
2: All right. Um, I, I confess I didn't see it quite that way, but uh, I want to yeah. go uh, around the, the table here. Uh, Carolyn, wh- why don't you go next? What did you see there?
4: Well, <laughs> I I didn't see him as being real. And I know Rand called into question his use of language. Uh, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I kind of have been neutral on Charlie Sheen. I mean, he's sort of just continually become this character that... Is is sort of unraveling before us in the past decade, I think, because uh, I can remember like when I was younger, and he was. I remember he was. I thought he was, like, really hot, you know? And then now, like, if you... I mean, regardless of... The, I mean, I just... If you asked me, like, five years ago, like, is Charlie Sheen hot? I would have been like, oh, God, no. Like,
2: would, oh, God, I don't not, want to go near you him You wouldn't ever.
4: have wanted
3: to be one of his goddesses. No,
4: I am even, all set so without So that was becoming... even
3: before his meltdown? meltdown?
4: Yeah, 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 even, like, during Two and a Half Met, you know, there just seemed to be this just this, like, descent into madness. And then, during this interview, I, I love that Rand gave us, you know, broke down exactly what, what he said here. But his use of of words and and this kind of plays into what we're talking about i don't believe i have trouble believing that charlie sheen uses that level of vocabulary
2: all right just to give people a <laughs> sense of what that level of vocabulary is here's a little bit from the matt lauer interview
5: you wrote this to me in a letter and shared it with me yesterday in and around this perplexing and difficult time i dazedly chose or hired the companionship of unsavory and insipid types i'm imagining prostitutes Regardless of their saltless reputations, I always led with condoms and honesty when it came to my condition. Sadly, my truth soon became their treason as a deluge of blackmail and extortion took center stage in this circuit circus of deceit. Were these people that you had had sexual contact with and were claiming that you had transmitted the virus to them? Or were these people who simply found out about your status and were threatening to tell the world? Um more the latter um they, they they for some reason i i i, I trusted them they, they were they were deep in my uh, inner circle and i um i i thought that they they could be helpful and instead they um as i as i wrote my 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 trust turned to, to their their treason you so know? Are we talking about lawsuits filed against you here charlie are we talking about shakedowns um we're talking about shakedowns talking about shakedowns yeah
2: We certainly now have Charlie Sheen's epitaph. He always led with condoms and honesty. Um, So, so yes, Rand, Rand, what did you hear in those words? Well,
5: I'm just going to bracket for a moment the the question of the particular language um, because it leads us right into the next topic we're discussing. But um, I I do want to say it was surprising to me to learn that he had paid out millions of dollars, uh, that that's necessary. I think that's sort of what Irene was saying at the beginning. Um, and and it recalled me. I think it's hard for anyone who's under, say, thirty five or so, to remember what it was like in the eighties and and early nineties when um, I'm not. I'm not talking about you specifically. There are a lot of uh, people listening out there um, who, uh, at a time when to to be HIV positive was to believe that you had received then and there uh, a death sentence. When uh, fear rolled through the, the culture really like a tsunami and totally blasted in particular sectors of the society um, and, uh, and and people were were terrified the the management um, and, and, and you saw in the outing of uh, various people who had AIDS, which was often a simultaneous outing if they were public figures like actors that that they were gay in uh, the, the the overnight transformation of um, Magic Johnson into a pariah, basketball players would not step on the court with him uh, and and there 's like a sort of last reverberating, dreadful echo of that in in what obviously Charlie Sheen has gone through, and so for me it it, it rocketed me back. Uh, twenty five years to a time and, and also a, a time honestly very personally because I, I fell uh, into a high risk category when I, I was terrified uh, that I was hiv positive and and i I, I got tested numerous times um, and uh, um, and so they, this was like a last recrudescence of a kind of cultural dread that for the most part um, we've put behind us, and, uh, and, and that, that's sort of the first response I had to this. I
4: think that there's still—my uh, best friend from childhood, and I've spoken about him on this because I've helped him with various projects that he's done as an artist that have stemmed from this, but my best friend from childhood is HIV-positive, and the, it, he kept it a secret for about six years, including from—I mean, I knew within that, but there was a period where even his closest friends and family he didn't want to tell, and I think it's an interesting it, – it it does, and I think we – because we grew up in a time where we were aware of that. And, um, you know, I can remember the Magic Johnsons and all of this. So I do think that there is still so much uh, shame that people feel in coming forward with this and, and just the fear and I think just feeling like they're going to be um, – you know, prosecute or well, persecuted we for a, that.
2: We, we got a little tickle of that uh, this week when uh, actress, uh, if that's the right word, Jenny McCarthy, always uh, to be counted upon for interesting perspectives on public health, complained that she uh, play, was in a role on Two and a Half Men where she would kiss uh charlie sheen with some regularity and that she was not told about this and this was unfair but apparently <laughs> i didn't know this maybe this is something you've had to do carolyn i don't know that, that you actually do if you're going to kiss somebody yep. on television you have to say whether you have a cold sore you have yes. to you have, you have to sign well you don't.
4: Know, it depends on different situations but uh generally it is something that you do want to
2: disclose mm-hmm. uh
4: just out of respect for the other actor right um, but but she, yeah, they generally. She said,
2: "There's a form. You uh, if you I have a, if you out, have a lip herpes, you have to." Uh, I, yeah, yeah,
4: I had to fill out a form like that for a show I was on where I had a uh, a, a sex scene, <laughs> and you had to fill out a form regarding some you know personal health issues mm-hmm. that you could be sharing for the day.
2: The I mean, I mean to me, one of the interesting questions is, is who's ashamed of what. So uh, I see Charlie Sheen as a guy who, in the past, seemed you know in the kind of self destructive cycle that Carolyn has described. Um, first of all, flaunting it before our eyes in recent years, right? I mean, having these interviews where you were just sort of watching him circle this personally constructed toilet of, of misery and debauchery. And I saw that as, I mean, I tend to, I think we all project how we want to or we project. So to me, that's, you know, his father really is this rather as actors go, upright and dignified and purposeful man. And I, I, I thought that that very well might be a taunt. You know, like, look what I turned into, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> look how much I've disappointed you. It occurred to me, I mean, I'm not saying that's the case, but it occurred to me that that was possible. But it's interesting what people are and are not ashamed of. So, yes, he didn't want anyone to know that he had, that he was HIV positive. No, a lot of that is because there's a fairly limited number of ways you can become HIV positive. He says in the interview, he... he Would not have been through a needle, uh, through intravenous uh, drug use, uh, injectable drugs. He doesn't do that, Uh, but he also refused to say how he thought he got it, which is his business. Obviously, there's no particular reason why he should have to. Although, if you're making the argument, well, I'm doing this for the sake of public education, you know. Well, then you probably should say how you think you got it. Um, But there, it, 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 I agree that there was shame. There, but it was sort of unclear to me what the shame was. I mean, in some ways, in in this society which prizes health and vivacity and vigor so much, you know, sometimes people are just ashamed if they get sick from anything. Right?
3: Um, Yeah, I think so. And, um, but I think he, yeah, I mean, that the image that he was projecting even during his meltdown was, you know, invincible. Mm -hmm. You know, didn't
4: he? Didn't he even? say he was invincible at one point
3: because he drank tiger tiger blood, blood. <laughs> yeah well there were, and that's why I just love that like Matt Lauer is just so funny <laughs> I mean just I, on some level he's just you know the way he sort of acts like okay whatever it is I'm just gonna act like we're having a regular interview you know <laughs> and um he said something at one point you know went how long ago was it that you found out and he said four years and he said OK, was that the time of the tiger blood and all that, you know, or something like that? And Charlie, instead of saying yes, which I expected Charlie Seen to say, yeah, I'm going to just blame that it all on that. that. Yeah. <laughs> he said no. And I, that to me seemed like he was trying. He He has this urge to be honest. I mean, it's not consistent and it's all messed up and confused and everything, but there's some there's some desire in there somewhere i think at least that's how i read it to 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 actually be honest like his face just looks so he's so intense you know when you look at his face he's not he he's he's trying so hard
4: well, i mean having gone through this in a in a personal way i mean my my heart goes out to him and i know that this is a hard thing but the i also i think he's a really good actor mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and i i think a lot of what came across to me on the today show was Charlie Sheen doing a really good performance of coming out with this and talking, and, and I think the bottom line was he, he just, he didn't want to be extorted anymore. So it was a kind of selfish way of coming out well, about it. Know,
5: what's interesting about that is that in in, <clears throat> in, in former eras, the prospect of, of a celebrity unraveling publicly would have been clearly seen and understood for w- what it was. That is a disaster. Uh, now, Charlie Sheen, to whom I haven't been paying direct attention, but he's, he's sort of like a loud noise in another room. You, you know it's going on. And it seems that he's been unraveling for years. Now, we live in an era where now the sort of the, – the backstage realities of things, the inner architecture of things is always brought to the surface and we have confounded and conflated – um, the The foreground and the background and and mix them in weird ways to entertain ourselves so it 's no longer clear, and thus to your point, Carolyn, whether in this kind of situa- situation whether we're really seeing someone melting down or someone producing a great facsimile of something that sells well as entertainment. And that becomes at some level a, a kind of hall of mirrors you know, interpretively. I think
2: so too and I think there's also a sense um, that he's, he's kind of a fusion. He's kind of a chimera of two different things and one of them is the thing that you're talking about right now, Rand, that these days you're unraveling in the world of reality television and stuff. Unraveling is something that people watch uh, and, and it's marketed to them, and there are these stars like Bethany Frankel, who's, <laughs> whose who's only real attribute—that's what she, they do. Yeah, she has yeah. no she has no boundaries. She has no boundaries whatsoever. She will allow a television camera to film her pooping, or you know, or having a you know. <laughs> wow, I
3: never heard of Bethany Frankel.
2: Billie, Bethany Frankel, yeah, she's Real like Housewives sort of, of New York. Yeah. Yes,
5: there's um, that favorite emoji. Yeah, there you <laughs> go.
2: Uh, of, uh, or or having her OBGYN exam. She doesn't care. She'll just do it. So you sort of got that, and Charlie Sheen has been part of that. He's put. On this incredible spectacle of himself over time. But you also have, you know, this all used to be taken care of by handlers, right? Movie stars had these incredible apparati of, you know, uh, publicists and stuff like that. Like, I found out today, I was trying to think of a good example of this. So I found out today that Raymond Burr was gay. I had no idea Raymond Burr was gay. And we were just doing a thing about the rear window, which, of course, he's the villain on. But I mean, I was a big Perry Mason fan. I liked him on Ironsides. I had no idea he was gay because I was not meant to know that. Uh, and in fact, what his publicist and he did was invent wives who never existed and died. He had two dead wives who were completely fictional, uh, you know. But it, like, if you were reading about Raymond Burr back in the day, you read about these two wives he had who died, but there weren't. They they never. They, one of them was like a Scottish actress or something. I mean, they like had these backstories. They were completely fictional. You can't do that now because radar online or something is fly-specking you and and everything that you say. But in a way this seemed like it, it was a little bit of a throwback to those days. Like he had for 4 years and at a cost of 10 million dollars tried to manage a story in the old way. And 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 I was also struck by the casualness of extortion. You know, it's kind of like yeah. well people who know you, you know, <laughs> they're going to ask for money. After they take pictures of your medicine in the medicine cabinet. Yeah.
4: I live in fear of everyone I know right now. <laughs> what
3: kind of but world it's such is a, this? It's, such a, it's, a, it's a world where there's such confusion about what is, what is real, what is the real person, what is the authentic person. You know, there's like these little bits that sort of seem realer than the person mm-hmm. – than the polished image. And what is public but and what those, is private. The, yeah, and what is public and what is private. I just wish my father were alive so he could hear that news about uh, Raymond Burr. That would be so – he would be. He would have been so interested. <laughs> yeah.
2: (laughs) But I mean, yeah, but that whole, there is confusion about, I mean, I think in Charlie Sheen, you see confusion about what should be public and what should be private. He's been public in the past about things that I would never tell anybody. I would never want anyone to know those things if they were true about me. And then he's also been private about something that, you know, although it's, uh, you know, it is something that freaks people out. It's also something that. The sooner you come clean about it, the you know the truth does set you free on that one. So. so
3: that's why he doesn't seem calculating. I mean, it seems like he's just as confused as we
2: are about where the real him is. All right. We're going to segue from that. So you heard this. You heard the clip that we played in which he's using all kinds of uh, words. I'm not sure I would call a prostitute insipid, but uh, he does uh, even uh, introduces – Uh, his state of mind with the adjective dazedly. And so, Rand, you said as we were passing uh, emails back and forth that it it made you like him better. I don't know how seriously you meant that, but you probably did. Oh, I meant it. Yeah, yeah.
5: Um, First of all, I mistook those when I saw in the article. I thought these were quotations. I thought he had spoken those words. The fact that he had written that in a letter opens up another dimension who actually wrote that. Nonetheless, there are certain... Eccentric uses of words there that suggest to me that he actually did write it for that reason. Because if someone, if if a professional had written that, they probably would not use dazedly. It's It's an unusual adverb. But
4: didn't you get the sense that he sat there with like a thesaurus? Like well, I'd like him to use you know, "deluge" but, in a but, regular well, sentence. Well,
5: maybe, but uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, we can we can sort of de- deconstruct whatever might have gone into it. But but to produce that, I dazedly chose or hired the companionship of unsavory and insipid types. So to me, and I know we're going to go on to talk about sort of types of speakers. These were like slight. There was a slight loopiness to the uses of these words. Now, maybe he's just showing off and maybe it's like, oh, here are my $10 words. But to me, I, I, I found a sort of attractive, just sort of slightly wobbly, um, slippery use of these words that seemed like almost accidentally poetic. And, uh, and I liked him more. He, he seemed stranger in a good way to me for having used words that way. I liked it. I, I, I do believe if you listen to the way that he talks, it's exactly that. He's reaching for words
2: that he doesn't have quite control over. He, that he, he doesn't quite know them, but, but he also does sort of know them. And so the letter was written kind of the way that he talks. And I, th- I actually think it was written by him and not by his handlers because it, it does sort of ring true that way. And, and he's, he's – and, but it also brings up this idea that I, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, that one of the ways that we identify with or oppose people is how, how they talk. So when Donald Trump stands up there and like his idea of a really profound statement is, that's a top thing. <laughs> you know? and and i'm going well t- these are all one syllable words you're not really saying anything and you know but that would be something like this is a top thing and and i'm sitting there thinking what an idiot but in fact if you are a very plain spoken person who doesn't particularly like the use of uh, of either idiosyncratic or flowery word choices you like Don- donald trump because it seems to First of all, it seems to you that he's not trying to conceal anything, but also he talks like you do.
4: Well, that's like Sarah Palin. A lot of her appeal was that folksy appeal that when she spoke, everyone could understand what you know what she was saying as opposed to politicians who tend to pontificate and use all these big words that are, are more intimidating. Like, I, I, I mean, I've admitted openly several times I'm intimidated when Rand starts going. And there have been times – one time on air he used a word I didn't even know mm. – <laughs> I I had to look it up while we're on air, I was looking up the word <laughs> so that I could respond and not sound like an idiot. What, what was
3: it? I don't even remember. Well, now. You, so I didn't did, even learn, didn't learn from it. the
4: experience. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, but even even like with Donald Trump, uh, you know, I, I you know, I I think he's a, the most one of the most horrible people ever. But when he says huge, it's going to be huge. Uh, um, I can relate to that since I'm from New York. You know, yeah. I mean, there's something there's something familiar. It's because of the familiarity too. So I, I, I'm I'm agreeing. Yeah. Well
2: I mean I, first of all i I'm fascinated by this and I do feel as though, I, I, I knew exactly what Rand meant when he said, I like him better uh, for using those kinds of words. And there are people whose ideas I've either found provocative or despicable or who I've enjoyed none. Th- I mean Christopher Hitchens is a great example, all right? Christopher Hitchens and I, we probably would agree about 50 uh, percent of the time or maybe less than 50 percent of the time. But his use of words was so wonderful. E- even to hear him not just write but to speak. I just watched this uh, William F. Buckley Gore Vidal uh, mm-hmm. documentary where he, he Hitchens is still alive and his comment. On it, and just the way this man talks, I just like that. You know, I, I am going to give him the benefit of certain doubts. You know, I'm and I'm going to look past his positions on some things just because I like the way he uses words, and it's the way I, I wish I used words that well. But it's the way I want to use words.
5: Well, you know, a lot of the the, the sort of implicit subject of this conversation is what's the relationship between articulateness and intelligence, and. Um, It can be confounding to hear someone who's inarticulate and try – like Donald Trump and understand, know that there is some sort of acumen uh, behind that but but that it's it's not the kind that finds its way into articulate speech. Now we tend to –
4: Are we laughing because he just used like – Five hundred big words
5: in that well, sentence. No. <laughs> no, no, I, because like, I, I, because of, because of the construction that,
2: that it yeah. doesn't right. find its so, way into
5: articulate speech. That's perfect. Right. Yeah. So um, so you have to one challenge for people who perhaps overvalue uh, eloquence is that they become deaf to forms of intelligence that are not expressed that way. Mm-hmm and 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 I think you know I remember I, I can recall very well specific instances when I was with someone who spoke in a certain idiom um that that you know was was not impressive to me but i I, I realized this person's really smart, and I remember being a, in my twenties I was out in California visiting a friend um, in southern California, and he his girlfriend had another friend who spoke in this sort of like valley girl. Bimbo sort of way, and and I was having a lot of trouble, really, even understanding what what the person in there was trying to say. And then we we were in some situation. I forget. She was describing a party she'd been at, and her quick take on one of the guests. And she, in staccato fashion, just said, "Well, he was this and and that, and you know, gun in his waistband. Maybe I'm out of there." And 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 I, and I realized, oh, this person. Goes right. She she understands people. She sums them up. She gets a very quick take on people. Okay, she's like playing this instrument that is really bizarre and alien to me. I don't like the melody, but there's really a musician in there r- composing thoughts, but in a way that's strange to me. And 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 you know, I, I've I've tried. I mean, I, I tend to value people who speak elaborately and who are agile. Colin on his feet being extemporaneously metaphorical referred to Charlie Sheen's uh, watching Charlie Sheen circle a personally constructed toilet of debauchery and misery now i love <laughs> i love it when people talk like that because they're on their feet coming up with an apt metaphor and then just spinning it off there's a performance aspect to people who are you know sort of mesmerizing talkers
3: and you're one of those people and so that's why you, you like that you know cuz i think it's interesting that you you went to intelligence as sort of the the value that you that you're looking for through all the maze of all the uh, you know the unsavory language and but not everyone is looking for that different people are looking for different things in the language that they listen to and respond right, to. and I would
2: yeah, be willing absolutely. to bet that when Carolyn gets together with other people who do stand-up comedy, where there is a rhythm, you know, there's a sort of a, a setup punchline, there's like a whole way of speaking. I bet that you have a higher comfort level there than um, you do in a lot of other circumstances. Situations.
4: Sometimes I, I don't know. I mean, I I do tend to gravitate towards people who are going to speak more eloquently. Uh, people who the thing I hate the most is when people and ask or like speak in a sentence, but end it with a question mark, even though it's not a question, that thing where their voice goes up and they just sound Mm -hmm. not confident. I like to sound confident, even if I am confident that I have no idea what I'm saying,
0: (laughs) because
4: (laughs) I find it really sells it. And people, people will look past. They're like, I don't think she meant what she was saying, or I hope she didn't. But um, I think that the funny thing with people in comedy is that uh, they, a lot of times, Tend to be pulling like when you're listening to things, you're pulling from that and kind of grabbing in what other people are saying to sort of almost imitate it or, or find some sort of the you're, you're looking at situations in a different way. So when you have a room full of people in comedy, it's like they're all just gauging each other and kind of it, it's sort of this weird like predator circling each other kind of thing going on sometimes. Or you're but like, you oh. value
3: it when people do it. But right?
4: I really yeah I I like I love I mean I would. I'm not like making fun of Rand's (laughs) incredible eloquence, but I I love that. I am fascinated by that. And what's funny is if I was to go to write something, a lot of times, more so I would be. But in speaking, it would just never occur to me.
2: We're going to do a break right right here. We we don't have to give up on this topic because I really do want to talk about, uh, I think, Irene or somebody sent us this uh, piece about uh, NPR talk. Uh, I think we have to weave that in there, too. It's sort of the informalization of formally formal speech. We'll get to that when we come back. Actually, we have an email from Paul and Willamantic who's saying exactly what the panelists were saying while you were listening to The Break. Don't confuse the big vocabulary with being articulate. That's absolutely right. We were just saying that, um, using it for its own sake. Not so great. All right. Well, one of the other things that we looked at as we were getting ready for this show was a piece uh, by Teddy Wayne in, in The New York Times talking about what he referred to as the NPR voice. He says, in addition to looser language, the speaker generously employs pauses, and particularly at the end of sentences, emphatic inflection. This is a separate issue from up. The tendency to conclude statements with question marks, which uh, Carolyn was just talking about, A result is the suggestion of spontaneous speech and unadulterated emotion. The irony is that such presentations are highly rehearsed with each caesura, uh, that's a nice word there, uh, calculated and every syllable stressed in advance. And he goes on to cite Ira Glass as the guy who really is the most influential person in that way uh, and the person who kind of introduced a new style. Um, I, I would go on to say also that, you know, Carolyn, you were talking about Sarah Palin before, and in a way, I think she did that a little bit in politics, right? Her her manner of speaking. Oh, I just did her right. Yeah, did uh, her I right. did it right. <laughs> she did she did that in politics. Her manner of speaking included a lot of you knows and things like that. Things that a formal speaker, someone running for vice president, they're not supposed to pepper their spe- speech with that. But it was effective up to a point. <laughs> it was effective in suggesting, well, she's this kind of unscripted, informal person, and that's what we value now. I mean, Irene, the, one of the points of this article was that we have. We have very, very seamlessly and quietly, silently gone from this very formalized manner of speaking the way that Dan Rather used to speak, or the way that Walter Cronkite used to speak, you know, in these kind of formal situations to an environment that really prizes this almost studied informality.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. how. Stu- I don't know if I agreed with the writer that it was as studied as he thought. I mean, you think Ira Glass sits there and practices. OK, how I'm going to say it. Just with the I right. Will, I,
2: I will. I will. I almost guarantee you that Ira Glass retakes anything he does twenty-five times until it sounds exactly right. Just knowing wow. a little bit about how their program done. Okay. Yeah.
3: All right. So, I guess that's. I. You know. It's. You know. It's like I think um, Charlie Sheen is is um, authentic. I think Ira Glass is authentic. I'm wrong because it's all studied. But I
4: think it's, the interesting thing is this unscripted. How the whole now they want speakers we we tend to like speakers who are kind of more authentic or that we're perceiving to be real but and it's the same thing with television like now we like reality TV and we like these series that are somewhat unscripted where it's that there's like a guideline and the actors are just improv-ing and, and you know as a performer that's a lot of fun but the behind the scenes with that reality and those unscripted series is really a lot more scripted than you think but I do think that it's interesting that now as a culture we are really much more into this even if it is just kind of this seeming sense of everything being an improv, and unscripted
3: Oh, I mean, I, mean, the I like Give, me, give me R. R. You know, I, 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 don't know. I mm-hmm. like
2: the other kind. Well, but I, yeah, I think. But I think it's worth saying. What is the most prized? What is the most valued talent right now? And I think the most valued talent was the ability to kind of nail it that way, in that pretty formal way that suggested um, that you were able to do that. And and now I think what is. I think the values have shifted. I mean, it's not a complete shift, but that you you get rewarded now for being able to in, to achieve that casual sound when Can you I speak. Can
3: I? Can we ask you that, Colin? I mean, do you do? You, are you conscious about how you how how you speak in that respect? Well, we're going
2: to talk uh, if we have time. In this, we're also going to talk about the fact that one of the things that happened was uh, that has happened is a lot of people are broadcasting who didn't used to be broadcasters, particularly with the rise of the podcast. And so, I entered into this world. <laughs> Into that world at exactly that point, I think I, I came into radio having no radio skills whatsoever and no radio training whatsoever. And if you notice the way that John Dankosky talks and the way that I talk, I I don't I'm not as good. I'm not as polished as John. I, I, I hope people will forgive me for that, although I get a lot of emails suggesting that they don't. Uh, but, Ray, what were you going to say? Well,
5: you just stole some of my thunder since the comparison of you and Mr. Dankoska was something I was going to bring up. Um, a, a, a Yiddish scholar uh, sometime last century said that a standard language is nothing but a dialect with an army and a navy, the notion being that it takes a sort of belief in imperial force to enforce one standardized way of speaking and derogate all others as inferior the web and the social media that have spun off of it are a great democratizing force in communications and uh, and so the empire the the army and navy have sort of been sent away and uh, and, and and a much Or have they well a They're much a different I, I, one. well this is this is i mean this is the framework that i'm that i'm seeing this in and voices that were formerly marginalized that didn't speak the standard language, including our host here, um, are, are, are now uh, flourishing. And uh, you know for years, it's interesting that NPR uh, would, would, would be sort of the subject of this particular inquiry. For years, and I still listen to on the weekends the reruns of Car Talk, and there always mm-hmm. came that very satisfying moment at the end when they would say, although Carl Castle has nightmares about it, <laughs> this is NPR. The joke of that was that guys who would sound like that would ever be on public radio, and uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, that that was a great joke. And I remember when Colin first started here. Uh, you know, I, th- I thought, well, how, how's that going to go? Because McEnroe doesn't really sound like an NPR guy. Dan John Dan has the NPR voice, and Colin. Well, you know, he's much more eccentric verbally. Sometimes he seems like he mumbles a little bit. He moves laterally. He jumps quickly. Um, it's not that sonorous. Official speaker, and uh, and so what you know we're talking about here, and what that article interestingly did is said that this has become such this a, a, a mark of authenticity that people are now practicing at say he accused Michelle Obama of practicing a certain kind of stutter so that she would sound more sort of authentically earnest.
2: Yeah, like she was coming to these things. I want to save time for emotion emojis, but I mean one proof of this, Carolyn, would be in what. In what previous world would Mark Marin have an incredibly successful interview show? You know, a, a guy whose yeah. diction and voice and, I mean, everything about his presentation is absolutely wrong yeah. <laughs> for any kind of interview show. But, I mean, he's, you know, WTF is just this incredibly popular thing. So, And he's an example also of someone who managed to sound very genuine. Mm-hmm. He can't ask a question without running through all of the, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you this question. I mean, you're, you're taller. I'm short. Do you think I'm short? I, <laughs> I think I'm short, too. <laughs> t- takes some- 20 minutes of this to just get one question out. Uh, Anyway, we have to quickly shift gears and talk about the fact that Oxford Dictionaries uh, has uh, picked an emoji as a word of the year. Um, And, Wolfie, I think we can even tell... We can have Siri tell them what that emoji is.
1: Face with tears of joy.
2: Face with tears of joy. Thank you, Sarah Flaherty, our intern, who did that for me today. So... um, so, Carolyn, uh, well, actually, I'm going to start maybe with Irene since she's the English teacher. Is this another sign? Are we going to go declinist on this? Is this another sign? that our civilization is in decay?
3: I don't know. I mean, somewhere in the article it said they were modern hieroglyphics. So it is kind of interesting to think, all right, language started with kind of hieroglyphics. Now it's devolving back into it. But um, I think they're fun. So um, and the fact that it's the word of the year, I find, yeah, I can't help. My, My English teacher self can't help feel, you know, raise an eyebrow to that. But on the other hand, I think it's true.
2: If you cannot afford a decline we will appoint one for you. Here, I have one. Over well, here. here's, you your know. Court of, here's your court-appointed <laughs> you decline Of this.
5: course. The miniaturization of all forms of communication is a great bugbear of mine. I was yesterday in an idle moment looking through a magazine, Men's Health, that you have written for over the years. And when I look through these magazines, I think, well, could I ever write something for such a magazine? And since I, I looked for blocks of text that were longer than you know, an inch – And didn't find any. And so I thought, well, I could never write anything for this magazine because I don't just scatter little bits of text around. (laughs) So um, what I I found amusing in addition to the notion that an emoji would be word of the year, um, the the article says – quotes someone saying, the rise of text-centric communication apps such as blah, 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 have made emojis a necessary solution for expressing emotion. As clearly as possible. That's a limitation the written text has never been able to overcome. <laughs> That's true. Now, so now the, 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 <laughs> wait. Hold on. Hold on. The idea <laughs> that that written text has never been able to express emotion clearly. If I thought, if only Nabokov, the Brontes, Dickens, or whoever wrote the Song of Songs could have known that, he would have written, "Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your." emoji that is love <laughs> is better than wine i mean the, the <laughs> all right uh, uh i'd like to go over to uh, jim webb right now no it's
2: actually uh, <laughs> carolyn Payne. um no that, he mentioned you so you can talk
4: okay <laughs> all right so the, the the i think they meant that like text messaging hasn't been able to because oh, they're like text i
3: didn't say that
4: though. i i understand but i took it as to mean that when you send a text, it, it's really hard sometimes to make sure that you're communicating correctly through that text message. So I, even though I, I don't have an iPhone, so I can't express myself in emojis. And this has been really <laughs> upsetting because all I want to do is send a, a smiling pile of poo to when someone says, how are you doing today? Or what are you doing? I just want to oh, answer with poop, okay. and yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, I see
5: that. So the point is, if we're not going to really use language, why use words?
4: Right, exactly. Yeah, but okay. no, 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 what I'm saying is when you send a text, there's a lot <laughs> don't of Don't fall into
5: his traps,
2: Carol. <laughs> I'm
4: not, I will not.
2: <laughs>
4: uh, there, there are times where you're not sure how to take that text. But if you if you add like a little smiley face or the, at the pile end, of poop,
5: that's pretty unequivocal. Right. Yeah. yeah
4: and it shows that it's not because a, a text can come across sometimes as sort of curt and not as, you know, and you're, you're trying to express like, no, I'm not. When, when you're like, where are you? And you say, like, smiley face, it's not, I'm not mad that you're late, I'm just genuinely wondering where you are. But whereas it's, where are you, and angry face, like, then you know, the person knows, like, oh, I'm running really late and this person is upset. So I feel like I do use those to kind of express the tone of my voice, which you can't get through a text message.
2: Well, let me just... uh, See if I can I not so much push back against Rand, but but introduce Rand to a different way of thinking about this. Okay. So first of all, one of the things that I've discovered this week was, is that you can just – with a slight bit of tinkering to your iPhone, uh, you can have Siri read the – uh, the emojis out loud, um, and I discovered this by. I should uh, do a shout out to the gist uh, on Mike Pesca's The Gist. This is where I heard this. So, um, so thanks to Mike Pesca, I know how to do this. And so I had Sarah Flaherty, our intern, just have Siri read a series of emoji.
0: Customer service person with light skin tone,
3: smiling pile of poo, eggplant, turtle.
2: So it occurred to me, Rand. <laughs> that you know that the the modernists that James Joyce would have really loved emojis. You know he that he might have really liked to play around with emojis. And I mean I can't speak for the other modernists, but you know, Pound said make everything new. You know that that probably there were some people doing great literature. Not, you know, almost simultaneously with Nabokov, who would have loved this and would have messed around with it in interesting ways.
5: I think that's true, um, but there would have been ways to mess around with it without the emo- emoji becoming actually the fundamental unit of your literary construction. What's most interesting to me about that article and is, is the speculation that over time, emojis could become a kind of language, uh, a pictograph-based language that maybe over the next thousand years you know what will emerge will be a Chinese like pictographic language using emojis I I, I like that idea but you know that idea is also one that takes this very simple unit and then builds ultimately great edifices of complex language and by the time that happens a thousand years from now you know my ghost will be giving the thumbs up
2: right (laughs) Uh, that's in the long list of things that uh, you'll be happy that you're dead for Um, (laughs) All right, so uh, we, we have to stop here so we'll have time for endorsements we'll do that we'll come back
3: And a creepy sound
0: Pages, CDs, floppies Thank God we now have these red flags And these green flags An unholy high five A dragon, a dragon close-up with a moustache All sorts of books And all these arrows are
1: really, really important Today's show was produced by Colin McEnroe, Lydia Brown, and me, Kion Wolf. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Our interns are Amanda Gallagher and Sarah Flaherty. The part of Bill Curry was played by Emilio Estevez. For show pages, articles, and instructions on how to say here and now in emojis, visit our website, wnpr.org Colin. On Monday's show, Lawrence Lessig and Colin debate whether Connecticut clean election laws really work. And now... Back to Colin.
2: Yes, Lawrence Lessig, a legal scholar and erstwhile presidential candidate. He often cites Connecticut as this place is really going to fix its election process, which I feel he says because he doesn't know how bad things have gotten here. So he and I will talk about His that. His campaign must be really over. It is. He's yeah, done. Because he's, he's here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, well, hey, he's actually withdrawn. Anyways, time to do endorsements. Uh, before you do endorsements, let me mention also that tonight, Kion Wolf be, will be hosting her storytelling event, The Mouth. Uh, tonight, 7.30, Mark Twain House and Museum. get there early. They sell. Out This one is going to be Animal Stories, uh, and admission is just $5, which is one of the reasons it sells out. Also, it's really a lot of fun. Storytelling is taking off. Um, all right. So uh, time to endorse. Uh, maybe Irene and I can quickly endorse together the Garden of Emoji Delights, which is um, up at Real Artways. Did you want to try to quickly describe it?
3: Um, if you know the Hieronymus Ms. Bosch painting called The Garden of Earthly Delights, uh, think of that giant-sized with emoji delights in there instead.
2: Yes, it's uh, by uh, Carla Gannis. Gannis is the um, creator of it's called what's called a digital C print. I don't really know exactly what that is, but uh, and she's used the digital
5: technology somehow to do this. And that, that's when you, you have a print, but then you add on digitally these um, you know details that give it texture on the surface of it.
2: All right, so uh, real art ways go see it. I think it's there till
5: January. All right, so we'll do uh, real regular endorsements. We'll start with Rand. Um, I'm a big fan of the Indian restaurant Utsav in Ellington, and one of the co-founders uh, of that restaurant opened a couple of a few years ago, an Indian restaurant called Indigo. It's in Manchester, right on the East Hartford line. It's sort of in an innocuous-looking strip mall. You would never see it on Silver Lane, I think it is. Indigo Indian Bistro. I I love the place. It's terrific. The people are really friendly there, and it's great food. Second thing, um, my wife, daughter, and I all love Broadway musicals, and occasionally we wander into the community theater scene here. So this weekend we are going, the West Hartford Community Theater is doing Carousel. There are still our tickets available. It's at Hall High School this, this weekend, so you can go onto the West Hartford Community Theater website and get tickets to Carousel.
2: All right. Uh, Irene, what have you got for us? By the way, Wolfie likes that restaurant too. Uh, What have you got for us? (laughs) I have... Uh, well, every Friday
3: I, I have breakfast with a friend of mine, and I uh, first of all w- would recommend that, like just having a having a date, a standing date with people that you n- want to talk to, um, because otherwise you'll never see them. But anyway, we always walk into West Hartford, and this w- lately a couple of times we walk to this place called Sam's Gyro, which you would never think of as a place to go for breakfast, but they have breakfast, and the guy makes these beautiful omelets with spinach, and he has this beautiful pr- presentation, and it's just it's fun, a fun place to go for breakfast, and you can outside even now. Is that on South Main Street? Um, on yes, South Main definitely. Street. Yeah, surprisingly good. They've also and, tried
2: to do jazz at night. Uh, yeah, there, I've it never, looks, looks like some kind of Viggo Mortensen movies about it, to yeah, break out there. I know. But,
3: I want to go. I want to go for that, too. And, Sam's the gyro, gyro. and
5: the gyro's good.
3: And quickly, there's this um, book that, of essays that I'm reading co- called Grammar Lessons, Translating a Life in Spain by this woman named Michelle Morano, who talks about— Moving and moving to Spain, learning to speak the language and her love life and all kinds of things. It's just a lovely book of essays that I, uh, that I recommend.
2: All right, Carolyn. All
4: right. I am actually embarrassed that I'm endorsing this, but I stumbled upon it and it's really quite good. Scream Queens. It's on Fox. Uh, it's Jamie Lee Curtis is just oh. phenomenal in it. <laughs> When I first heard that she was in it, I was like, What is she wh- where so what where is So what is the concept? What's the so concept? it's a sorority house at a college and they're slowly getting killed off one by one, and there's a whole backstory. So it's it's kind of, you know, it's your classic what like she? slasher. She plays the dean of students, and she is <laughs> phenomenal. And I'm sure like you've seen like bits and pieces playing in different media uh a, episode a couple weeks ago, she recreated her character is in the shower and gets attacked. So it's you know, it recreates the scene from Psycho and but there's obviously a twist to it it um yeah it, it's it's actually so well written for a it, it's a show that knows that it's not you know it, it, it's not like a breaking bad it's not going to be this amazingly well written show but it is so poorly written to be well written if that makes sense <laughs> and um it really is just great and it's a really fun way to just sit and pass a couple hours so you can catch up on it and it has like four more episodes I think this year
2: I actually do a Tumblr of things that Carolyn has admitted to on this show, and really being embarrassed about that doesn't really make any sense, given <laughs> some of the other things that you've talked yeah. about, really.
4: <laughs> True. <laughs> um,
2: is that it for you? That's yeah, it for done. me, too. Okay, so, I, yeah, I've got a few today. So, um, first of all, I really re- recommend the movie um, The Siege. Uh, it was done by uh, the director, Edward Zwick. It was done way before 9-11. Uh, it stars Denzel Washington, Tony Shalhoub, Bruce Willis, and Annette Bening. It's about a terrorist attack in, in New York, and it it's so Predictive. It's, it's so prescient about things, and it uh, it it really anticipates, for example, something that's being talked about a lot right now: internment. Uh, Bruce Willis is this militaristic, uh, you know, colonel or general who who does intern Muslims uh, right there in New York City. Um, it's just it, it's I think a terrific movie. But then I'm also a big believer, as people who listen to the show might know, in reading things that attack things that you like. So uh, the scholar uh, Mustafa Bayumi, who was on yesterday, uh, has a new book uh, in uh, called uh, This Muslim American Life. It's a book uh, and one of the things, you, the last section of it is about Muslims and culture. And he rips this movie to shreds in a way that I didn't find completely persuasive but was really really interesting. So watch The Siege if you've never seen it. You will be amazed that somebody made this movie before 9-11. Uh, and then if you feel like having your suppositions pulled apart you can tr- track down Mustafa's work. Um, on po- in the world a couple of podcast things particularly if you've seen by now Spectre, listen to the first 42 minutes or so of Daniel Craig's interview on the Nerdist, the Nerdist podcast. The Nerdist podcast is a very weird thing because Chris Hardwick is not a good interviewer, but he and his his confederates are so good at relaxing people that they talk in a way that they don't typically talk. And, and Daniel Craig reveals himself to, first of all, be a very funny person, like a very funny person, and a pretty normal person considering all the things, all the excuses he would have not to be normal. So, But after about 40 minutes, these interviews go on way too long, and you can actually tell there's like a moment where you think, oh, now they're just asking. They have no idea what to ask, but this will just keep going. Also, now this is not for everybody. This is only for a Small group of you. You have to have. You have to. I mean, this is much worse than anything Carolyn has just endorsed. The Rosenthal and Jeselnik Vanity Project. This is a podcast that features the the comedian Anthony Jeselnik, who is a notoriously, I think you would agree, tasteless. Um, uh, comedian who, who has this persona, this arrogant, strutting persona. And he and his best friend, Greg Rosenthal, now do a podcast about football on the NFL, dot, uh, NFL Network and they're constantly just talking about how they're about to be cancelled, which I think is probably true. Alright, I've got lots of other things that I could endorse, but I'll stop there now. But, but like, if you have d- refined sensibilities at all, don't listen to that. But if you do, go back a few episodes because s- they need to set up their storyline a little bit. Thanks to Rand, Carolyn, and Irene.
1: Top hat, lipstick, Virgo sign, left arrow.
0: Kion, cut it out. It's not funny.
1: Japanese flag flashlight.
0: I'm serious. You you think you're being cute, but... Trumpet trophy soccer ball. (laughs) Okay, that's pretty funny.
1: I have no idea what I just said.